0: Hi, and welcome to Sustainability Explored. Every week, this podcast navigates a new topic through interviews with the most disruptive minds in sustainability, turning their experiences from working behind the scenes into actionable advice you can use in your life, no matter your background. My name is Anna. I'm an environmentalist, sustainability consultant, and the host of this podcast. Today, we'll be talking about conservation, uh, nature, and the efforts humans can implement to live in a better world and to live a better world to the future generations. I invited a prominent young mind, Elliot Connor, to do this interview with me. He is a filmmaker, podcaster, TEDx speaker, and a conservationist. Eliot is currently based in Australia, and I'm very, very excited to have him with us today before we jump to our interview you can use this moment to subscribe to this channel to subscribe to the podcast to always be one step ahead with the sustainability news across the world and across industries well if you're ready we are let's jump right into it today i have an amazing guest you will be blown away by his experiences at such a young age Today we are having a talk with Elliot Connor, conservationist, environmental scientist, science writer, filmmaker, podcaster. He established a charity NGO called Human Nature Project, and we are going to explore today how humans can reconnect back to the nature. And what can we do to preserve it for ourselves and the future generations to come? Elliot, first of all, thank you so much for reaching out, for being with me today and for agreeing to be on this podcast. How are you today?
1: I'm well enough. Thank you, Anna, for that amazing introduction. Uh, Looking forward to having a really insightful conversation. I think especially with COVID in the mix and with some of the strange things going on at the world right now. Uh, it can be really, really pertinent uh, to uh, look forward uh, to where we're going, uh, to this new nature we'd like to create, uh, this new normal, uh, in which uh, perhaps humans and nature may both be able to thrive, to coexist. And how are we going to right, get there,
0: right. of course? Sure. We always start on this podcast with the background. In your case, it's especially interesting because you're so young and you have achieved already so much. You're not even 18 years old yet turn in soon but the list of your achievements is impressive you spoke at TEDx event in Sydney it was right you're based in Australia you wrote a book you opened up a charity how did you understand what was the turning point when you realized that environment is something you want to dedicate your life to
1: oh yeah it, it's hard to point to and uh, epiphany uh, when I came to that realization uh, when I uh, suddenly had this breakthrough I think it's something uh, which builds on you which dawns on you (laughs) I think uh, that environmentalism is this rabbit hole once you go down it you never quite get out Uh, it's something uh, which just keeps on giving back keeps on uh, fascinating you inspiring you intriguing you Uh, so it's always been I guess part of my life Uh, it's just grown on me in recent years. Uh, There's a wonderful uh, anecdote I like to recount of when I was 10 I was stalked by a leopard in Botswana so uh, that was something which definitely shaped me as you can imagine. Actually at the time I was walking back from the toilet block at a campsite, it was in the north of the country, Uh, quite a remote region so no fences and no protection from the animals wandering through and i was just reaching the edge of it was the fire circle of the campsite actually so this cleared open area and i had this sort of thick sense uh, so i looked behind me and there about 2 meters away perhaps there was this young leopard uh, crouched low to the ground stalking me that was definitely an experience to remember uh, but a very mixed one as well uh, because i know that incident was reported uh, it went to the highest authorities. Uh, the leopard was most likely relocated uh, or shot. Very, very alarming uh, for me, and even worse for the leopard. Uh, but it just, I guess, showed me what the state of things was: uh, our human relationship with nature, and uh, that has been niggling away at my brain uh, until maybe eighteen months ago, when I started on this journey. I started coming up with some of the philosophy for human nature projects, and. Leading me to where I am now.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. What did you do in Botswana at the age of 10? I cannot help but ask.
1: <laughs> uh, we were just camping. I think it was a family trip. Uh, so, yes, I was over there. I've been back to Southern Africa uh, several times since. It's a wonderful place to go. It's definitely. Wow. Uh, where we see the best of nature and some of the best of conservation as well.
0: Right. With so many versatile activities that you were exercising, it's very rare. I I will say it straightforwardly. It's very rare that a young person from childhood to teenager to a young adult so quickly, so early in life knows what he or she is going to do and not only knows but goes into the execution mode and starts exploring and producing something. What is this motivation from within? What is this drive that pushes you forward? And the second part, kind of, of my question is very important also for all the sustainability professionals, regardless of the industry. How do you structure your days? How do you get there? to achieve what you achieve?
1: Yeah, uh, lots to answer to there. Uh, I think uh, going first for the structure, uh, so how I organise myself, uh, I think it's slightly chaotic. Uh, I obviously work very long hours, uh, so I start my morning correspondence for an hour, an hour and a half uh, when I get up, so starting work about 6, 6 a.m. an early riser, so that works for me and do the emails, WhatsApp, Slack, all the social media, uh, all of that, Uh, get it done in the morning, and then move on to some of the chunkier tasks uh, when I find the time, so I generally have about an hour spare in the morning. I'm still schooling, so uh, that cuts out a large chunk of my day, Uh, so it's about nine till three. I'm off doing that, it's like my day job, and then I organize everything else around that, uh, but yeah, making most of uh, the smaller uh, patches in the day, I think is important. So on the bus rides, for example, on the daily commute, uh, that definitely helps. And, uh, filling in some of the patches, say around meal times, so if you can set those free. I can do calls. I, do, I often do the mornings and the evenings. So those sort of times uh, which... That means I'm working these long hours, but it means I fit everything in. Uh, That's basically how I organise, if you can call it that. (laughs) In terms of what keeps me going, what motivates me, yeah, I think it's two parts. I think, firstly, it's the animals. Uh, I think there's definitely that element. Uh, I do animal rescues, so animal rehabilitation caring uh, here in Sydney, uh, which means we've always got a small menagerie of creatures out in the back. Uh, which is lovely. It's uh, amazing to see some of the bonds that form uh, with those creatures, obviously caring for them over several weeks or several months, seeing them uh, slowly recover, slowly recuperate, eventually releasing them. Uh, It's quite a journey. Uh, So, yeah, that's definitely part of it. And I've been very, very lucky to date uh, to be able to have some incredible opportunities uh, in obviously the environmental field, getting out, seeing nature at its best, Uh, So yeah, it's something I'm very passionate about. And I think the other side of that then is just the people I work with. So I work with many amazing young leaders, I get to speak with people maybe in a dozen countries in a day, uh, which is definitely life changing, very inspiring for me uh, to walk that path uh, to be able to do that. So I think that's the other part of it, which definitely keeps me going.
0: Tell me more about the um, Human Nature Project. I noticed on your website, I followed your podcast a little bit with the same name. What is this charity or NGO, correct me, what's the right term to use? What is it about? What is the mission of it?
1: Yeah, so Human Nature Projects, I started roughly this time last year, maybe 13 months ago. Uh, 13 and half. I uh, started it with very clear intent of creating a community within conservation uh, so establishing that entry point into the field and especially uh, supporting uh, volunteers so uh, providing uh, that a chance uh, for people from all sorts of backgrounds to contribute in the best way they could to this cause uh, so devoting their skills, devoting their time. Uh, to uh, support these sort of projects and it's grown obviously tremendously since it's been incredible to see how far it's come Uh, we've now got volunteers across 105 countries uh, thereabouts so it's been a wonderful journey uh, for me Uh, but yeah yeah the idea essentially is that if we can give people more chance to offer their services uh, to assist uh, towards this cause uh, then Uh, They obviously will be more invested and more uh, prone to uh, supporting uh, the likes of it, uh, to adopting this human nature worldview that we use. So uh, this idea for respecting, appreciating nature. And if we can do that, uh, then it will um, then create that ripple effect. So it's a positive reinforcement. Uh, If they can have that, they'll have hope. Uh, which obviously leads to many amazing things.
0: How would you describe this human nature worldview? Who can join the project?
1: Yeah, uh, two good questions. So the human nature worldview is one in which we recognize that humans are animals and everything else follows. So uh, recognizing animals are incredibly intelligent, uh, complex, creative uh, creatures with in individuality or with a character uh, which we can compare to our own uh, if we know how to create the right standpoints. So, if we can try and recognize the humanity in other creatures, uh, that's what human nature is all about. And then, respecting them, appreciating them uh, for what they are, and uh, affording them that dignity, that right to exist, and the integrity of these natural systems uh, which we tend to uh, lose or destroy. So that's what human nature is. In terms of who we work with, there's people from all sorts of backgrounds. Uh, I know our national director for Lesotho came from a, a HR background in the Lesotho Olympic Committee. So that was one of the more unusual ones. Uh, but we get people who are software analysts, who are marketing experts, who do uh, corporate work, uh, who are actual ecologists occasionally, uh, we do get those too, uh, but people from all sorts of backgrounds uh, living their own lives, their own careers. And I think increasingly in this day and age people do want to make a difference, so uh, all sorts of people help out in human nature.
0: Uh, I did a couple of episodes on urbanism, urban studies, three episodes, right. Two of them had Singapore as a core focus, mm. and one I did with a friend of mine who recently returned from this internship at MIT. Together, we figured that more than 60% of the world population lives in urban areas, in the cities. I myself am thinking, well, yes, you know, most of these corporate people, workers, the city attracts people because there is uh, work in the more traditional sense if the person is lucky there are maybe two weeks a year when he or she is exposed to actual nature it's amazing if they get to see some wildlife but not everyone is like you living in australia and traveling having camps in Botswana. Mm. <laughs> Uh, Other people, I don't know, me in Ukraine, I am used to more neutral landscapes, let's just say. Uh, Recently, I was at the sea in the south of Ukraine, Sea of Azov. And uh, locals were telling me, you know, sometimes you can see the dolphins. In a week, I didn't see a single dolphin, of course. So you have me, a a pure, you know, city animal (laughs) who gets there in anticipation in all Mm. Will I see a dolphin and I don't? I noticed just by my own example that because I'm not exposed to nature too much, it's out of my worldview. I get to talk to people about like plastic pollution. Please, if you can turn to zero waste lifestyle because the straw you just used in the cafe will end up, I don't know, in the shore uh, somewhere in Greece, in Turkey very very possible there is no connection in people's mind that me sitting somewhere deeply inland very far away from the ocean that me can have any sort of impact on any other part of the world seemingly unconnected very much connected now i know but how do you get to reconnect people with the natural aspect and say, hey, you are part of it, you are part of the solution, you are part of the problem, you're part of the cycle, and you're also basically an animal. So don't put yourself superior on top of the pyramid. Yeah. What is the message you would suggest transmitting to general public with regards to connection to the nature?
1: Well, I think the most important one, and it's interesting how you framed that, I think uh, the most important thing is redefining nature. So I mean, you mentioned uh, that there isn't any nature in cities. We don't get to the actual nature uh, for maybe two weeks a year. Uh, so I think, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but it's certainly uh, the case in my experience that uh, in almost every city around the world, some of the largest, like I went to Seoul uh, late last year, uh, even there uh, you can find nature. Uh, so if you can accept urban wildlife, learn uh, where to find it, what it is, learn to appreciate that. Of course, that is nature as well. Uh, we've come to define a very purest sense of this word, nature. Uh, so, of course, there are animals all around us, even if you are uh, one of about 60%, as you say, and cities be about two thirds by mid this century. So, I think it is really important to develop the means for people to realise there is nature still around them, even in cities. Uh, That's really crucial. Uh, You mentioned, of course, as well, uh, that we don't naturally associate ourselves with some of these natural systems. Uh, Of course, that was the classical climate change refutation. Uh, Humans are too, puny, too insignificant to create this whopping great spike in uh, CO2 emissions. So I think it's a similar solution, again, uh, to uh, what we've seen in climate change and what we've seen in this space as well. I think uh, if you can show them uh, that as an individual they can have a positive impact, then that's far better than showing them they do have a negative impact. Uh, so like uh, with some of the climate change rhetoric, with some of that debate, it's all about empowering people to show them how they can cut down their emissions as opposed to your emissions are really, really bad. Stop doing that. Of course, you can't stop your carbon dioxide emissions. Completely, or you can certainly compensate for them. But if you can learn how you are impacting nature in your daily lives, then that's the first step to the process. And then learning how you can ch- turn that into a positive impact. So uh, for me, it's doing these animal rescues. And that's a really important way for me of giving back, of being able to strengthen that bond I share with nature. It's obviously something you can do in a city, something in which uh, Sydney, being luckily very green, very rich wildlife as well has allowed me to do but which you can do almost anywhere across the globe Uh, so it it does seem very very difficult it can seem that way if you're stuck behind these urban walls in a large city uh, like Sydney or uh, wherever you may be there are still ways uh, to connect with nature if it's an urban backyard if it's your local city park Uh, I was recently doing filming for a group called Wild Earth TV And they live stream safaris for six hours a day. Uh, So, I mean, that's nature at its best. You can see from your living room, uh, that's just another route you could take.
0: One thing that you mentioned that really struck me is positive reinforcement. Don't beat them up collectively, you're you're doing this wrong, but instead show how to do right. And another thing that uh, is interesting, made me think of my own short childhood story, uh, I think it was math uh, exercise and mom came to me like, look, you thought this is the right way, but it wasn't. What? What's your next stage? And I said, to think differently. And from there on, from early childhood, I'm like, yes, the core to problem solving is first of all to change your thinking, to think about the problem differently and to think about the nature differently, to change the behavior. We, we first have to change our mindset and our thinking. How do you think we could achieve that? What would be your maybe three to five core messages for every anyone listening to us today or in the future? Something like affirmations maybe that anyone can implement as of today to start getting more sense of nature around us and feeling like they are part of it, not above, below, at the side of it. Well, I think a really good
1: first step is to find an animal uh, which you can interact with regularly, so many people have a dog or a cat, some sort of a pet, uh, for me <laughs> it was slightly less orthodox, I kept lots of insects, I've still got a three beaded dragon and lizards, uh, so... Uh, that's another way you can take if you're that sort, uh, but any animal uh, which you can see regularly, which you can bond with, is a great start. I call it the Dull effect. Uh, so Gerald Dole, of course, wonderful author, definitely read some of his books and now sadly deceased. But he effectively pioneered uh, this model for the modern zoo, uh, working in this conservation space. And very, very influential in inspiring many of the conservationists of this generation, uh, mine and yours. Uh, So, I call it the double effect, and it basically means if you can interact with animals, if you build that bond, if you get that chance to experience what it's like to connect, to empathise with another living creature, uh, then you are effectively predestined uh, to uh, be sensitised to environmental issues. To appreciate nature, whatever it is, Uh, but that's that very, very easy entry uh, point uh, that way for anyone to get into uh, this space, to start learning about animals, start learning about nature. Uh, So that's something I definitely recommend. If you don't have uh, that chance to have another animal in your life, uh, then get out there. Don't miss that chance uh, because it's something you, you will regret. Aside from that, I think you go back to some of the things I mentioned earlier. So if you can try and learn what you can about the animals, wildlife around you, if you want to learn, sorry, a new bird species on your bus ride every day, on your daily commute, if you're if on a train, uh, whatever you can do to try and decrease that knowledge gap we increasingly see uh, so people don't understand nature and uh, they don't understand the current state of our environmental systems. But if you can try and uh, wise up uh, to that, uh, that's obviously a great step as well. Uh, so it's an easy thing anyone can do. If you read the news, for example, it's a, a decent way of doing it. Uh, if you can get a bird guide, you can uh, look up a identification app. Uh, iNaturalist is a good one. So uh, it allows you to take a picture of any uh, animal uh, you see and just upload it. So it means you don't have to know anything, uh, but other people can tell you. One, if you can have nature in your daily life, you can uh, implement that in your routine. Secondly, if you can learn about it, so uh, decrease uh, that knowledge gap we're seeing. And uh, thirdly then, if you can uh, make it a part of your a way of seeing yourself, obviously. Uh, so, I very much draw the uh, nature analogies, Uh, compare myself to other animals, (laughs) in much of uh, the work I do, uh, that's obviously something which won't be for most people. Uh, But if you can try and see the humanity in other animals, uh, if you can change the way you look at them, uh, that's more fundamental change uh, that uh, will assist you learning about nature and appreciating it. So I think between those three, pretty much covered
0: very interesting and very creative approach. When you started talking about the first one, the animal connection, you know, get involved with animals, take care of someone. It reminded me of my aunt, actually, when she was younger. She had a quite a weak heart, often finding herself on the edge of fainting. It was still, she was still back in school, now she's over 40. And I remember grandma took her to the doctor, And the doctor's advice was something I couldn't, no one could actually predict or find any scientific connection to. He said, every day, go to the park and let her feed the pigeons. Plant the kindness in the heart, you know? Back then, it was still probably in the Soviet Union times before I was born, so before 90s. Back then, he was not seriously, who do you think we are? Prescribe us some normal medication. But his advice was go to the park, feed the pigeons, and I guarantee you will feel much better. Everyone laughed, but it actually helped. She didn't have heart problems ever since, you know. And now, only because you said establish this connection with the animal... Ages later, I just recalled, it's like we're having a coaching session almost.
1: (laughs) Now, that's really interesting, that story of yours. Of course, uh, this vitamin N, uh, this uh, rhetoric, uh, that nature can be a tremendous health benefit, just getting out there, uh, being immersed in it. It's increasingly coming into even this uh, proper medical uh, terminology in the Western world. Yeah, I, I think it's something which a decade, two decades will see diversify expand greatly and uh, we may not be laughing at it uh, even that prescription in a dozen years time uh, so watch that space it could be really interesting as we work out how being in nature affects for you uh, yeah spend.
0: speaking of your projects current and future projects on the more productivity note uh how do you, do you come up with these ideas or are you working with someone who is doing something and your assistant and you're going into the field filming, taking pictures, doing this uh, photography sets. I checked them all out. I saw them on Facebook. That's a, you know, a work of a quite high quality, I would say. Mm. How does that process happen? How is the idea born? How do you decide what kind of product sort of you will create?
1: yeah a really really interesting question so in human nature projects it's somewhat of a flattened structure any of our volunteers can suggest a project an idea if they've got something they'd like to create and obviously we then have the infrastructure uh, some of the mechanisms to support them in that Uh, it's on the two levels so we have the national chapters in as many countries uh, which allow for more of these community oriented projects Uh, so if it's something uh, which is of special significance to a given area, uh, then it will go through that route. And uh, we have the international working groups, which are uh, arranged according to interest or skills. Uh, so uh, those allow for, say, uh, more wide arranging projects uh, for uh, ones of larger scope, uh, but to be carried out within a particular domain or across several. It allows for most of these ideas to be supported, to be accommodated, and obviously, it takes some of the burden off me as well, uh, leading it to all. Uh, so, having uh, some of those systems in place within human nature projects, it's fairly a simple deal. Uh, as you mentioned, my photography work and some of these other projects, uh, I think that's more just as it comes up. Uh, so, I mentioned some of the time I spent in South Africa with Wild Earth TV, uh, that was just an offer I got two weeks in advance. So, uh, it's the space I'm moving into, and it's podcasting, photography, filmmaking. Uh, All of it is new terrain for me. I just wrote my first book, for example. It's a whole new set of skills you have to learn. And uh, all of this is whatever comes to me adapting to COVID as well. It's me trying to tell my story and share this human nature worldview in as many different mediums as
0: possible. Right. Just realised that you are the youngest guest on sustainability (laughs) explorers such a young guest that I almost forgot my uh, the name of my own podcast.
1: <laughs> I usually
0: ask the guests that are very experienced to look back and tell me whether their education, meaning the degree, was something necessary for them to build this career. So the question for you is, at this point of your life where you are now, what do you think? Is environmental degree a necessity to build a successful career in the field of sustainability, environment, climate, or is it learning by doing the field work, being out there, uh, rolling up your sleeves and doing the actual work? That is a go-to strategy in between the two. What is your opinion?
1: Oh, I think it's a hard question, and obviously it depends very much on precisely where you're headed. So I personally am angling more towards wildlife filmmaking, uh, natural history, documentary production, uh, which is very much experientially geared. So, I mean, very high chances I'll still end up taking a zoology or science communication degree, but I'll take a gap year first. So... uh, Put a bit of distance behind uh, that academic lifestyle and try and work on some of uh, more as you put it hands on uh, experiences uh, so I think you do need both and it depends on the balance you're angling for uh, so for me it's been very very valuable setting up human nature projects it's transformed my life uh, taught me a whole diverse uh, range of skill sets i couldn't have imagined uh, learning through Uh, school work or through uh, academic institutions of any kind but yeah uh, you do need to mix it up so obviously having that formalized uh, end to it all uh, can be incredibly beneficial and i've benefited greatly from mentorship for example uh, from uh, some uh, more rigorous uh, uh, organized uh, mentorship fellowship uh, some of those different sorts of schemes Uh, but still i guess uh, angling towards that academic
0: side and one last question to wrap our amazing conversation up what would be one piece of advice you would like to give the listeners of sustainability Explored?
1: one piece of advice (laughs) i think my piece of advice would be try to be a better animal i think that's the core of it all if you can uh, try and recognize your place as a human, obviously on this planet, uh, that of course we are animals, but then try and learn from them uh, there's a huge realm of untapped potential there, so that will be my key takeaway
0: super, thank you so much, Elliot, for being with us today for having this conversation with me and for sharing with the listeners, with the world. I checked recently, a couple of days ago, we have listeners now from 95 countries of the world. So I really hope your message will be heard and applied. Thank you again and best of luck with all your undertakings, endeavours in the field of sustainability, environment and climate and conservation. Thank you so much. Ciao, ciao.
1: Thank you. Goodbye.
0: I appreciate you taking the time to join us today, and I hope you loved listening to this interview with Elliot as much as I loved working on it and chatting with Elliot myself. As always, if you have any questions for me or my guest Elliot Connor, please don't hesitate to reach to either of us or both of us on LinkedIn. We're both are easily approachable and findable there. If you like the podcast, you know what to do subscribe share on your social media leave a review on a platform you're listening on reading your review will make me over the moon happy and if you leave the review on our podchaser page i will reply to you in person as i always do by taking your time to give your honest feedback you help me improve the podcast and you help other people interested in sustainability to find this podcast out to discover it I always suggest some other related episodes, and today I'd like to draw your attention to the following ones. The first one, I did it in December, 2019. It's called, Where the challenges? Is, there is an opportunity. Interview with Laura Temenbaum. Highly insightful and super interesting episode with former NASA science communicator. Another one, also dated December, January, uh, 2020, called My Amazon Rainforest Journey, the one I recorded from the Amazon, actually, where I spent three days discovering and exploring the rainforest of Brazil. Sea turtle conservation and eco-tourism with Jimena Gutierrez Lince, my Mexican classmate, based currently in Puerto Rico. Another one, Biomimicry, Design for Sustainability, Inspired by Nature, interview with Ricardo Osorio Contreras. And the last one for now is Saving the Last Rainforests One Acre at a Time, interview with Danny Blue. You're, of course, more than welcome to check any other episode that uh, you feel like, that fancies you. And finally, I'd like to say we also have A YouTube channel where most of our interviews are already sitting in the form of video. You can subscribe, comment, like, dislike, uh, all is up to you. We also have a Facebook group and a LinkedIn page where we can, again, engage, exchange ideas, and so on. Reach out to me on LinkedIn, challenge me with your questions, nominate guests, become guests yourself. Um, Suggest so topics you'd like me to cover in the future. And I would like to thank you again for listening, for being with us today. This was Sustainability Explored, episode number 57, season 5. And me, your host, Anna Chashina. Thank you for being with us today. And until next time, next Thursday, take care, stay sustainable. Goodbye.